This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 5th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. When you take a day off to go to the ball game, but don't tell the boss, is it really criminal fraud? The Supreme Court is trying to figure out just what it means to deny someone the intangible right of honest services. The case of Jeffrey Skilling of Enron is now in the hands of the court. Tim Sandifer, an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and a principal attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation, comments on the oral argument. I think that we saw the Supreme Court really concerned about two issues. The first issue that they were really concerned about was the selection of the jury and whether Skilling got a fair trial given the heat of this issue of Enron's collapse in in Houston when it happened. But secondly, and and the issue that that, uh, PLF and Cato filed the brief on was the vagueness of the statute and what it means. And the fact is we don't know really anything more than we did about what exactly the statute means. What has the Supreme Court said in the past uh, with regard to the vagueness of statutes? What has it said about uh, due process of law and your right to due process and understanding statute? Uh, Well, when when it comes to criminal law, they've made it very clear that a statute that is so vague that no reasonable person could understand what is prohibited and what is allowed, that it violates due process of law to convict a person of that. And that was 90 years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, the first case I know of was in the 1920s or something like that. Uh, And that has been the standard since, and it's been applied in a couple other areas, particularly in the realm of uh, restrictions on free speech. Um, there, during the 1960s, particularly, there were a lot of attempts to censor free speech on the grounds of uh, nuisance. You know, a, they would declare a protest to be a nuisance and then get an injunction against that protest. Um, and the Supreme Court said that, that the term nuisance was so vague that no person could know what it means and that that was therefore censorship. So that's what the Supreme Court said in the past. Unfortunately, then they've also said uh, that it, this doctrine doesn't really apply equally to businesses on the grounds that, well, businesses can afford attorneys to explain what the law is. So regulations of economic matters aren't subject to the same protection because, well, you can hire lawyers. What was Skilling accused of? Skilling was accused of violating a federal uh, statute that prohibits what's called honest services fraud. And that is a uh, an attempt to, or, or an, an effort to deprive someone of the, quote, intangible right of honest services, end quote lower courts had held that the um, existing criminal statutes prohibited the deprivation of honest services as a common law matter. And then the Supreme Court took the, up a case and said, you know, that's so vague, we're going to overrule that. And Congress responded to that by amending the statute to add the phrase honest services. So what they did was they said, no, no, we want this incredibly vague standard to be part of the law. And so now the Supreme Court has taken three cases, Skilling is one of only three of these cases, to discuss this statute and what it means. Because normally if the, if, if the courts say one thing and then they change their mind and then the Supreme Court really does want that, I mean the Congress really does want that, then they'll add amend the statute like they did. But only do that when the law is clear. I mean if you're going to do that when the law is so vague, all you're doing is – stitching this incredibly vague thing onto the statute again, and now now all we know is Congress likes the vagueness. Congress uses vagueness to delegate uh, uh, powers to uh, agencies when it's rightfully something that Congress ought to be dealing with uh, head on. Uh, that shouldn't be terribly surprising. Exactly right. The the I believe the legal historian Lawrence Friedman said uh, vague statutes are delegations of authority to executive officers, and the so this statute, the honest services fraud statute, and other uh, incredibly vague uh, 
legal principles, allow uh, either presidents or governors or their attorneys general to bring lawsuits, but much more dangerously, they allow these officials to hold the statute over your head and to basically extort behavior from you on the threat that they will indict you for this. So they say, well, if you don't cooperate with us, then we will bring these charges against you under this incredibly vague statute. And sure, maybe you'll win down the line, but it'll take 10 years and cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees for you to, to vindicate yourself. On that note, uh, what was the discussion related specifically to specific instances of potential violations of this honest services statute, how did that play out at the oral argument? Yeah, no, I thought the most imp- I thought the most important and interesting moment in the oral argument came when Justice Scalia said, basically, wouldn't this statute make it illegal for an employee to use his work computer to, like, you know, go on eBay or something? And the uh, this deputy solicitor general said, well, no, because there wouldn't be a fiduciary duty. And Justice Scalia said, why wouldn't there be a fiduciary duty? And the Deputy Solicitor General said, well, that would be subject to litigation. Well, exactly, right? That's just the problem. You don't know whether it's illegal until you go to court. The problem with vague statutes is that nobody knows what is and is not legal. And it's not ju- we're not just talking about people who might commit crimes. If the statute is so vague, what people do is they steer really clear of anything that might potentially be illegal. So in order to avoid prosecution, they don't do, it's not that they desist from questionable things. They desist from even legitimate things that they are afraid might later be prosecuted. So people steer far clearer of the statute than they should have to, which of course is bad for the economy, bad for economic development, bad for freedom. What were some of the other questions that the court was trying to to clear up here? Actually, most of the argument, uh, maybe 60 or 70 percent of the argument, was focused on jury selection and on whether Skilling could get a fair trial in Houston given the political atmosphere. And it was interesting to see that the liberal judges were particularly – they seemed to be very troubled by this, Justice Breyer and Justice Sotomayor particularly – really really asked a lot of of searching questions of the deputy solicitor general on on that issue. And there was another question related to, from Justice Roberts, I believe, on if you're looking for a reason to prosecute somebody, that you go to this or that. And the the Deputy Solicitor General apparently had a fairly unsatisfactory response. So what happened was um, uh, the the Deputy Solicitor General was trying to make the point that, that Houston wasn't really so biased against Skilling. And so he pointed out, well, you know, Mr. Skilling was acquitted on several of the charges that, that were brought against him. And, you know, if the if the city was really that prejudiced against him, then they would have convicted him and they would have gone directly to these statutes, right? And Roberts leaned forward and said, no, they would have gone for the honest services fraud statute, right? They would have said, this deprives us of honesty. And the, the audience thought that was very amusing. I didn't think that was quite so telling, though, as as the Solicitor General's answer that, you know, you'd have to basically file your lawsuit or be a defendant and spend years going through a trial and an appeal to even figure out whether or not your conduct violates the statute. You know, um, Daniel Webster, one of my heroes, made this great oral argument in the Dartmouth College versus Woodward case back in 1819 that was quoted by courts afterwards uh, repeatedly as the definition of due process of law. And in his oral argument, he says, it cannot be a law if you have to go to court to determine whether it's law or not. Law means a permanent, lasting, predictable principle. It's the opposite of arbitrariness. And if a statute is so vague that you cannot know what it means, and it 
delegates to executive officials arbitrary power over your life, liberty, and property, then it cannot be due process of law. What was the best case for maintaining this, uh, this statute in, in some form? It seems on its face to be uh, something difficult to maintain. Yeah, well, the argument, uh, there's two parts. Part of it is, well, of course, prosecutors need flexibility to deal with unforeseen circumstances, which is true to some degree, but of course, this can be a real good excuse for very vague statutes and prosecutors doing whatever they want. And then the second argument is that there is this pre-existing body of case law and that the court can use that and formulate a, a, a doctrine out of that that will then be predictable enough to satisfy due process. And this is what the courts of appeal have attempted. There were, in particular, I believe, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which issued a, a really good, very thorough, uh, on-bank decision defining very precisely what are the standards for violating the honest services fraud statute. The problem is that that was the decision of only a bare majority of the circuit on bank court. There was an almost equal number of dissenting judges. Now, what we're talking about is the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. These are some of the greatest lawyers in the country, the most sophisticated legal minds. And, of course, they differ from other circuits. So what you're talking about is the leaders of the federal bar cannot come up with an agreement on what this statute means. How in the world is the average person going to figure out what this statute means? And how in the world are businesses going to be, be able to figure out what this statute means by hiring lawyers when lawyers can't understand it? Right? The whole idea behind not applying the void for vagueness doctrine to businesses is, oh, well, you can hire a lawyer to explain the law to you. But lawyers don't know what this law means. And the brief that PLF and Cato filed in this case points out that that's not just true of this statute. It's also true of certain common law doctrines, particularly the, the doctrine of public nuisance, which basically means whatever the judge says it means. Even the great legal the, – the tort scholar uh, William Prosser called it a legal garbage can. No lawyer knows what public nuisance means. And yet attorneys general in the states are using this doctrine to sue oil companies for selling oil to sue car companies for selling cars, to sue gun makers for selling guns, for, to sue paint makers for selling lead paint back when lead paint was legal, on the theory that these things were public nuisances. Perfectly legal, perfectly reasonable things to do, public nuisances. And of course, the reason they're exploiting this incredibly vague common law principle is to get tremendous loads of money out of these businesses that then can go and, and, and fund state programs. Tim Sandifer is a principal attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. You can read more about honest services fraud at Cato.org.